the future is going to be really decoupling ordering from delivery. You will not per se care how you ordered it and you don't care who is bringing it as long as you get it. In-store sales, ordering for delivery, buy online, pick up in-store. With so many buying options accessible to consumers, companies are now facing many different kinds of orders to manage and get right. In the restaurant industry specifically, there's been a huge upswing in the number of people ordering online, especially through apps such as Uber Eats, Grubhub, and DoorDash. And that's nothing compared to the number of point-of-sale systems that are being used. Moving orders from an app or an online system into a physical point-of-sale is a process that's prone to human error. But for so long, that's been the only way to do it. Songju and Deliverect want to change that. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Zong explains how an integrated cloud-based platform is taking the pain out of managing multiple ordering and point-of-sale systems. Plus, he discusses how the real world and virtual world will start to blend together more and more as brands invest in digital-focused capabilities. Enjoy the episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Hello, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder and CEO at mission.org. Today on the show, we have Zong Ju, the co-founder and CEO of Deliverect. Zong, Welcome. Hey, welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> nice to be on the podcast. <laughs> I am very excited to have you on. So before we dive into Deliverect, I was hoping we could start a little farther back in history when you were building your first company at age 17. I think that'd be a fun starting point to kind of hear what were you thinking back then so then we can see how you got to Deliverect. Yeah, exactly. I think Deliverect today is a quite big company uh, as we serve customers in over 30 market and uh, especially last year, we just processed over a billion dollars in sales. Um, that being said, the reason we can go so quick uh, is due to our you know, couple of decades almost uh, experience in the hospitality space. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I was pretty much born in this space as a uh, very young on. I started helping restaurants to uh, go online, right? Uh, making their first website and so on. Uh, and that's almost, I think, you know, 20 years ago. So very early on on, on the internet timeframe. Uh, and the reason why I, I, uh, I got in that space is actually because my, my father has a point of sale company for Asian restaurants. Uh, so especially if you're Asian, you know, a lot of people will know, your father will always say, hey, you, know, uh, you can work, right? You're young, you should get out of there, earn some money, do, do your part. 
so that's how I enrolled in the hospitality business. And that was my first business. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And you were, so you're building websites for restaurants. And then did you start kind of seeing issues they were having? And is that what led you to building Deliverect to where it is today? Well, it's, it's a quite funny story. Because of that, you know, I, I never want to take over my father's business. So I said, hey, maybe I need to study IT. So I want to study software engineering, right? Before I went, you know, into the restaurant space again, I said, hey, you know, there's something, uh, you know, out there for mobile applications. So I created, uh, you know, mobile website and mobile apps prior to the iPhone. So I feel now really old. Wow. Um, and so when the iPhone and the first iPad came out, I felt it was perfect timing to disrupt <laughs> that side of business where especially when point of sale was very uh, hard to use. It was a legacy system, not cloud-based. So actually in 2010, 11, uh, I created, I co-created the first iPad point of sale uh, in Europe, uh, one of the first 3,000 apps on the App Store back then. So you can imagine uh, how that uh, grew. And just in a couple of years, I, I grew that company uh, quite quickly. Uh, it was called POS iOS. Uh, that name you won't know, um, but I merged POS iOS in 2014 with a now a public company called Lightspeed, right? So we pretty much mm-hmm. ran the global hospitality division of Lightspeed prior uh, to their IPO. And one of the things there, of course, we are always uh, in contact with restaurants around the world. You know, at the same time, you know, the same thing happened. The first time I, I did this was really solving a pain of, um, you know, uh, cloud-based and tablets and old hardware. But in 2016, 17, we, we saw that restaurants were struggling actually managing their online sales. And it was quite funny because most restaurants said that back then uh, to, to me, um, this is never going to happen, the offline to online transition. We're creative people. You know, it's about warm food, about service, never going to happen. Well, suddenly you have these companies like Uber Eats, DoorDash, GrubHub, <laughs> Deliveroo, and yep. hundreds of others popping up where you quickly saw that transition happening. And um, so early on, these customers of us said, hey, John, you need to help us. You know, this wave of Offline to online is apparently unstoppable, uh, but we need a partner that can help us to make that transition. Got it. Got it. So essentially, we have all these restaurant ordering apps, like you said, Uber Eats and all the others that exist. And they were all coming at the restaurants a mile a minute, and they were trying to manage them individually. And you essentially consolidate that into one point of sale system so that the restaurants could just interact with one portal that would then talk to all the delivery companies. Did I get that right? You nailed it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's really a, a game of whack-a-mole, uh, as you can imagine, if you're running mm-hmm. a restaurant. You know, and it's all very you know, dense during your service, right? Where you have hundreds of orders coming on all these tablets. And they all start to light mm-hmm. up. You need to accept them. Uh, you need to you know, take the order, rekey in your point of sale, send it to the kitchen. But even when the order is done, you need to call, go to any of these tablets. I need to find out what order it was to uh, dispatch the rider. So the complexity of this is enormous. And I think as we go, the number of online channels a restaurant need or will have is only increasing because it's not even about you know, these delivery companies these days. You need to have an app for curbside pickup. You need to have a QR code dine-in app. You need to be on Google, mm-hmm. Facebook, and so on and so on. So it's enormous. What are some of the issues you're seeing with restaurants when you're coming in there and kind of showing them like, here's how to come online, here's how to make this process work. Like what are some of the hurdles for them to even implement this software? Like wh- where's the hold up sometimes? 
Well, most of the times they, they, you know, they can't believe what we do <laughs> because it's almost magical. Uh, you know, when you're used to all these systems and suddenly it's, you removed all these tablets and it just works. I think the, the hurdle is, you know, one side connecting with all these online players, but as well, very seamless mm-hmm. with every point of sale they would have. And the reason why is in the hospitality space, you could say, hey, the online channels is fragmented. You have a lot of delivery companies, but actually the number of point of sale is way more fragmented than online players. There's literally, you know, not thousands, but 10,000 of point of sales out there. So we connect that seamlessly through APIs, but also it's not just getting the order in your kitchen, but as well working with them to do menu management, having automatic stock management, um, controlling the flows. For example, when it's really busy, we would be able to slow down certain online channels uh, to cover you know, the, the kitchen time. You know, the result of this is quite astonishing um, and it's threefold. Uh, one side we can on average, uh, you know, pre-COVID because with the pandemic, you know, it was an accelerator. We saw that the average restaurant was increasing 25 to 30% of their top line revenue when implementing us. During COVID, this was double, triple, and quadruple, but no, no why. Yeah. And then the other two things where it's important is we reduce the error rate for the end customers, right? Maybe you have experienced it, but you know, if you order some food, you know, once in a while, actually it's between five to eight percent. So one out of ten, you get a mistake. Someone didn't deliver what you wanted. Yeah. You wanted vegan food and you got something with meats and so on, right? So we can reduce these errors by 80%. So that's massive. With all these automations, it saves a lot on labor costs as well. Got it. And how are you reducing the errors? Like, what does that look like? Is it something that they're keying in the wrong way? Is it something the customer's doing or the kitchen's doing? Like, what does that look like to reduce the amount of errors? Because I've definitely have had that happen. And then I've just been like, oh, this didn't arrive. And then Uber Eats just refunds me. And I'm like, hmm, did you know it didn't arrive? Like, how do you trust me? I wouldn't, I don't know if I would even want to trust me saying that. And it's definitely very vague behind the scenes of, you know, how they even view that. Yeah, there's a lot of details, but it's actually started with the beginning. Often, once a restaurant are not using us, the online menu that they have, they have once told Uber and, and other players they have inputted. It's not up to date. So imagine they don't have mm-hmm. certain products and ingredients. You know, they can snooze, but they cannot change the menu, the content of it. So the menu on its own is often wrong. Second, you know, when it's busy, they can't follow the flow of that stock. So if it's not automated, you probably are ordering stuff that they are already sold out in the restaurant, right? Because online you have mm-hmm. a lot of more people ordering and then with the in-restaurant sales, they're always going to provide their customers in front of them the food that you online. So that's a second thing. A third thing that affects massively these error rates is once you don't have it integrated, it comes on these tablets, you accept, there's a, a, an extra ticket printed by Uber E, DoorDash, Grubhub. They need to take that and rekey that in their point of sale perfectly, right? And that's where a uh, lot of error happens. You know, sometimes top line yeah. items, but even worse, when you put a note in there where you say, hey, I'm allergic to this and that, it causes a lot of trouble to rekey that correctly. So if you take these, only these three things, it's quite massive, right? Yeah, now I can definitely see how, yeah, human interaction always causes mistakes, of course. And I'm assuming it also integrates with the point of sale system to also run the restaurant, right? The one that the servers can use outside of the delivery or are those two kind of separate? No, so it integrates then directly with their current system, right? Because if you have a restaurant, you have kitchens, there's a lot of printers, kitchen screens. Um, You want to make sure the workflow is seamless. Um, Because actually what's funny is the throughput of a restaurant is never 
you know, boggled down by the kitchen. The kitchen can make a lot of foods most of the time. It's really the front of house where, you know, if you have customers standing in front of you and in the meantime, you have seven tablets pinging all the way, <laughs> it's impossible mm-hmm. to manage. Yeah. So we reduce all of that tassel. That's great. Yeah, I used to work in a restaurant starting in 14. I was working at Outback Steakhouse and worked in restaurants the entire time and can definitely say that's very true. The front of the house can get crazy when the back's kind of like waiting on you to put in the order, help the customer, bring it out, get it out of their, you know, their window, whatever it may be. But so I'm sure you see a lot of trends behind the scenes with working with so many restaurants. And, you know, I've heard quite a few things, you know, COVID hits, of course, less people going in restaurants, more people ordering, but then also more people cooking at home. So a lot of things kind of shifting. What are you seeing today now that we obviously went through the big spike of, you know, everyone who wants to order online and order from restaurants probably has tried it by now, or maybe, and some of them are kind of falling off, maybe some new people are entering. But what are you seeing like general trends in the industry? Well, I see it's actually picking up. For example, during COVID, mm-hmm. a fun stat is pre-COVID, uh, if you look at the age group of 55 years and above, uh, less than 10% mm-hmm. has ever tried delivery, right? And now that number is over 35%. Shows you that, you know, my father, <laughs> grandfather, grandparent, everyone is using it. So the adoption rate is quite high. And what you see is, is that during pandemic, a lot of restaurants focus only on delivery. But now with the reopening, you see some restaurants throttling down because they want to handle their in-dine uh, customers. But at the same time, you see a lot of more restaurants opening multi-brands, right? One physical restaurant saying, hey, you know, why don't I create virtual brands that I only sell on these online platforms? Uh, but it's cooked in my kitchen. The, the exponential growth of, uh, you know, dark kitchens, you know, these kitchens with multi-brands yeah. everywhere. Especially as if I look at all numbers, I think, you know, the delivery space is only accelerating. And what's good for the space is it's on top of the dinette. So it's one is not cannibalizing anymore, the other sales, right? So it's really on top of it. Got it. How do you view these dark kitchens? Because we talked about this in a previous episode with Shake Shack, I believe, And she kind of mentioned that, you know, she thought this was, I think she said a quick trend that, you know, it might work for a little bit, but then people are going to want to stick with, you know, brand love of a certain company. They know it's cooked a certain way. And like, you're not, you're only going to be able to use that model for so long. Like, how are you viewing that right now? I think that's still uh, going on quite strong, right? There is a difference of, you know, I would say pure tech wanna be thinking, hey, this is a fun idea. Me as a startup mindset, I'm gonna you know, implement a kitchen, you know, it's just pure number game. That I'm a lesser believer of because what you see as the successful dark kitchens are ones that are really you know, restaurant operators that create amazing brand, amazing experience, and at the end of the day, great food. People in that space forget it. It's like, hey, it's numbers, I can make it work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so people that do that well can expand quite rapidly. Right, because the cost of setting up or you know reaching these customers is way lower. You know, if you want to do a restaurant, it's maybe you know outfit a half a million. If you started a dark kitchen, it's one fifth of that. Yeah. So, what you see is that even established restaurants are having a dual model where they say, "Hey, in the cities, I'm gonna have my flagship restaurant where you have the full experience. In the meantime, around that uh, restaurant itself, I'm gonna open a lot of these dark kitchens." So that you at home, wherever you are, can still order food. So that hybrid model is really working well. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, 
then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I wonder if they can eventually share kitchens and space and then kind of, you know, turn it on when you need it. And then in the meantime, let another brand have it. I mean, I'm even thinking about the two brands, fast food chain. It's like, you know, Popeye's and McDonald's, like in the same building. And in one way, I'm a little suspicious of that because I'm like, how do you all know how to make the same thing in the same building? But it's also an interesting model to think about of like why, you know, rent an entire space if you only need it for like when you have peak order times and then any time outside of that, it's just a commercial kitchen that anyone else can enter into. Well, you, you actually have that. There's quite some of these concepts, almost a rework of kitchens, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think in, in these cases, it would be in, you rent the space because you don't want to open uh, and set up your own kitchens. Uh, but then you would still put your own chefs in, in these mm-hmm. places, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's also models where these kitchens provide you A to Z. Uh, I think that works well if you're established brands with real procedures about how to cook food. Um, but that being said, I mean, we, we see a lot of success uh, in, in the US. For example, in New York, we run Milko. Uh, that's a very big dark kitchen brand. They have a lot of brands. In LA, mm-hmm. you have Bite to Bite with Cheetos and all these uh, good brands. Uh, even you know established restaurant chains like Spin, right, where you play normally ping pong, but they run mm-hmm. at the same time in these kitchens, eight, nine, ten brands because it's really complementary and allows them, um, you know, to when it's even not busy uh, to sell uh, their food. So, what kind of trends do you see overseas that are different than in the U.S. or vice versa? I think it's uh, quite a global trend. Uh, you know, even in uh, in in Europe, Asia, Latin, uh, as well U.S., you you see the same trend popping up. What I do see, it's, it's, it's interesting, is there's a lot of models, especially in the dark kitchen, people are trying. So renting kitchens hmm, seems to be hard. Uh, franchising their brand seems to sometimes work where you say, hey, I have my brand. Any unutilized kitchen space or restaurant can take my brand and just sell. That seems to work. Mm-hmm. But as well, people that own the full stack, right? Uh, I think it's a bit too early to see what of the multiple models really will win. But that being said, I think each of them has, you know, massive traction. Uh, and that's why, you know, if you look at market sizing, the size of dark kitchens is, you know, a trillion dollar business, depending who mm-hmm. you ask, right? So it's, it's a yeah. massive opportunity. I think a, a second trend, what's very interesting is the growth as well you see in, in the US as well in Europe of, of groceries, um, you know, FNCG and CPG. So for example, wherever in the world you can order Ben & Jerry ice cream, right? You take your phone, you order Ben & Jerry ice cream at 11 p.m. when you come back from a date, and <laughs> you just need ice cream and it gets delivered within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in every city in the world. That being said, you will never find a Ben & Jerry store so close by. So even the rise of dark pop-up locations or delivery locations or dark fridges exist. As you go, you're going to see that perishable foods in general 
is going to be very available. And it's all about, you know, the convenience of it. Whatever you want, mm-hmm. you click and you're going to get it. Yep. I do see, I mean, it probably depends on where you're at in the country, in the world, but there are definitely a lot more consumers now who do care about the brand, the ingredients, where is it being sourced from? Like, you know, how are you going about growing those materials? And it seems like a new trend that that's what sometimes makes me wonder about the dark kitchen trend, because I mean, I think a lot of people want convenience and being able to, you know, get it quick and easy and cheaper. And then it seems like a larger proportion of people now are like, I want to actually understand like who's behind this food and how was it grown and all the details that maybe a lot of people didn't think about a decade ago. Exactly. And that's why one of the things I mentioned is, you know, I think if you want to be successful, you need to be that restaurant operator. You need to mm-hmm. be able to convey the complete story and say, hey, that's where we source the food. That's how we cook it. You know, that's how we find quality. So that side of it will work. If you're just there to produce mass produce food, then, you know, especially because it's a very low margin business restaurant. So you better do it well. So when it comes to point of sale systems in general, it seems like this, you know, is great, obviously for restaurants, but there's a lot of other applications because I can even think about, you know, a lot of delivery apps being like, oh, you need this from maybe Home Depot and you need this from Costco and kind of offering to pick up from many places. How are you viewing the general landscape of point of sale systems and like where it's headed? We are um, a bridge above the point of sales because that's really fragmented. So for mm-hmm. a point of sale, especially a lot of these older point of sale that are not cloud-based, it's very hard for them to process online orders. And, and that's where we come in. But on the other end as well, we have a dispatching product that allows uh, any restaurant or any business actually to deliver uh, their food or drinks or whatever perishable thing they have within 10 minutes because we connect with you know all kind of third-party delivery companies like DoorDash Drive, Uber Direct, as well, all the local ones. The convenience side of it is going to be crucial for these restaurants, right? It's going to be, the future is going to be really decoupling ordering from delivery. You will not per se care how you ordered it and you don't care who is bringing it as long as you mm-hmm. get it, right? Uh, so you can imagine you have a Google Home or, or Alexa and you say, hey, uh, bring me some salads, you know, from that mm-hmm. restaurant. And it gets processed and, you know, 10 minutes later, someone, you know, rings you up uh, at the door and gives you that salad. So we can really power that transition of that world. Yeah. So it essentially doesn't matter if it's restaurants or anyone else. First step is everyone needs to be cloud-based so that then you can plug into them and help control the top level experience. So then... The consumer doesn't even know kind of and doesn't have doesn't have to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I mean, that's usually how most technology evolves anyways. But you can essentially go anywhere. That's what you're saying. Yeah. What we are doing is really creating that backbone of on-demand food, right? So, you know, creating that layer of a physical restaurant. Uh, and the reason why we, we, you know, I was adamant to start Delivrect is to my personal experience, right? My father's system, the old point of sale, still exists. Even after I created, you know, one of the most advanced iPad point of sale, I think I converted three of his customers to that system. So what that tells me is that, you know, especially in the point of sale space, there's a lot of servicing, fragmentation, and people have a low tendency to changing systems. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, in enterprise restaurants, like, you still see these Micros RES 3700 of 30-year-old. Yep. So that's why we're building that layer so that any online player can have access to a physical restaurant. In the benefits, it's really benefiting restaurants because they don't need to change the system, uh, but still process and, and grow online. Mm-hmm. 
What do the switching costs look like for some of these restaurants if they go through and upgrade everything? I'm guessing there's employee training. Like, what does the cost look like? And then I'm sure you know the ROI numbers too of employee efficiency and you know helping out with inventory and all that. Like, what do some of those numbers look like? So, for example, utilizing the Levrec, there's no switching costs, right? So, mm-hmm. whatever point of sale you have, so we we uh, are integrated over 150 point of sales uh, at the moment, and we are adding you know a lot per month. What if it's an old one? So that makes us unique. We actually, you know, for example, you know, we, we create tunneling. We set up mm-hmm. the software to make that cloud-based, right? So making from a Got local it. machine online uh, mm-hmm. is something that we also do. So that allows you to save really that, that investment. I mean, if you are a small, medium business, you know, one or two restaurant, you probably can't switch it because, you mm-hmm. know, you want to have the ease of use and the investment buying iPad is not too high. But honestly, if you're a restaurant chain, that's a massive move. I mean, you're talking about millions to replace. So Mm -hmm. instead of doing that, and there's also a lot of risk involved, right? So instead of doing that, if you just deploy Deliveract, you have a full system uh, that allows you to sell online or all online channels, and you're fully cloud-based. And like I mentioned, the ROI is huge, right? So whatever top-line revenue, you know, we grow at 25, 30%. That's Mm -hmm. a minimum, right? Uh, All of our customers are... Uh, doing more than that. Second, like I said, you know, wastage. Uh, but to quantify it, an average restaurant that does you know, normal delivery are doing a month, a thousand orders. If you have 8% error rates and you know, per order is you know, that 80 orders, right? If you know, average is $50, that's a lot of money that you could save. And then finally, labor cost, um, we can reduce that significantly. You, know, you can almost save one out of four of your staff right? So they can do something else, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's important. Very cool. Are there any technologies right now that you're watching to integrate into Deliveract? I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is crypto. And I know even back in 2018, a lot of people were talking about, you know, crypto and point of sale systems and how to think about that, not only accepting payments, but also like the back end of like how it even functions. Is there anything that you guys have on your radar that you're kind of watching right now? Crypto is interesting, right? I, I think Decentralization of payments would be interesting, especially I think in restaurants, it's a quite high processing fee they pay, especially if they are selling online, right? Uh, there's transaction fees. Honestly, I do not think today the technology, the technology is there, but maybe the solution is not there yet to do mass payments as it's quite heavy uh, to mine these, uh, these coins. If you want to do like us, where it's you know, millions and millions of transactions, on a month, I think that's still uh, quite uh, heavy to do, but we're watching that space. I think more interesting for us is, you know, as we have uh, a lot of info about a lot of sales channels, is providing a, a CRM or you know a really um, a customer relation management tool for a restaurant, uh, so that they can manage, uh, you know, wherever you're you're ordering, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you ordered uh, today on Uber Eats and tomorrow on DoorDash, and the next day on their own website. Well, they can say, hey, Stephanie, thanks for ordering on our website. We're going to give you a, a promotion or a extra dish. Mm-hmm. So these are the things I think where it's going to really help these restaurants. Yeah, it's kind of like going into an omni-channel world with these delivery systems so they actually understand where are you coming from and where have you been. And it also seems like there's a lot that they can do around sensors, around inventory and stock. I mean, I know you mentioned that you can connect that with your company um, product, but also just thinking like, how do you do that automatically where instead of someone saying, oh, we're out of this item or, you know, we don't have this product today, like it's kind of automatic because it sees 
the ingredients getting low and it's like there's nothing coming on the trucks today. So we just have to say green beans aren't on the menu today. So sorry. And then it just updates automatically. That's the world I think is coming. Well, in the, in the ice cream example, we actually do that. So once yeah. uh, you know uh, that shop is running low on strawberry, so first mm-hmm. of all, we ask the local vendor to ship more strawberry ice creams. But second of all, uh, we can automatically you know snooze that product for an hour. We're saying, hey, it's out of stock. So providing all these restaurant operation tools is something that we also care about because that's how we're going to help the restaurant owners as well. Yep, love it. All right, and then the last thing, where do you see? Deliveract heading. What are you excited about over the next couple of years? I mean, although Deliveract only exists for uh, two to three years, I think we are only on day one of this mm-hmm. offline to online transition. I mean, the motto of Deliveract is not even conquer the world, it's conquer the galaxy, right? So one day we'll uh, be the first that delivers uh, a burger to the moon. That's our motto. So <laughs> we just You're need to be ask on Mars. Alan, Alan to, uh, <laughs> to Elon Musk to, to speed up his, his uh, you know, colonies. Uh, but all jokes aside, I think that's where um, our ambition is. I think you really need a player uh, like us um, that, you know, stand with the restaurants, power them and allow them to really be successful and thriving uh, online, right? Without a, a different agenda. So as we go, we want to expand regionally uh, in, in, you know, all sorts of uh, countries and, and continent uh, and add as many channels as we can as well, point of sale for these restaurants uh, so that it can, you know, thrive online. Very cool. All right. Well, Zong, thanks so much for coming on the show and giving us a little behind the scenes about what Deliverect is all about. Where can people find out more about you and your company? Well, you can find a lot of info on our website, deliverect.com, or uh, link me up on LinkedIn. I'm uh, <laughs> you know, an avid LinkedIn user, so no worries if uh, you want to send me a message there. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Upnext in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.